We are shows what you know. We'll always watch TV. And if you think we can't, we'll watch more and you'll see. That's why the people of the web believe in Jim from Las Vegas and Jacob from Sweden. Welcome to the Gilead Gazette. Extra, extra. This is where you get all your news concerning The Handmaid's Tale. Don't go to no Boston Globe. Don't go to no second-rate fake news outlet. This is the Gilead Gazette, where we let you know the wonders of the blessed land of Gilead, where nothing ever goes wrong, and it's all very good under his eye. My name is Jacob Burrows under his eye. Blessed is the fruit. I think they say that. I am Jim Scampoli. And we are ready to really delve into Gilead, a very uh, depressing, sad place that I never would really want to go to. But but Jim, under his eye, Gilead Gazette, come on, we're doing the bit, remember? No, you're right. We love this. We love it so much. Uh, yes, we're here to talk about season two of The Handmaid's Tale, actually. Um, and uh, they released two episodes, so we're going to get into those. If you're new on this feed or this podcast, we have covered season one, although we did it in a sort of broad sense with just two episodes. And this time we're going in, we're going deep, we're going to go through every little bit of it. Now, uh, we both really enjoyed The Handmaid's Tale as it was coming out, and I think a fair few people did, but I feel like there's been a bit of an explosion since they won every award that ever existed. Um, do you think they're going to see a, a marked uptick in viewership? It does feel like, um, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back, but yes, we were watching the show. We were there from the beginning. We were breaking it down as it was coming out. Not to say, I mean, obviously the show had some buzz, but it really did feel like it started picking up throughout the year, especially uh, during award season, it feels like people were discovering the show, and it's growing uh, more and more, and uh, fitting a blow, if I don't say so myself, here in season two. Yeah, much like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which you should check out if you haven't, where we were also on that ball very early. We didn't have the branding down, though. We now have the branding Gilead Gazette, which makes perfect sense. We're clearly a newspaper in this fictional world, and we will be keeping up that illusion throughout the episode. Well, of to be course. fair, we were Maisel men right from the jump. So we're uh, the branding we are getting very good at if you're following along at home. We were so close to being Gilead guys, you guys, so please be glad that we picked this one. It's got a nice, nice cover. You'll find it at showswhatyouknow.com and uh, your favorite podcast app. Just search for Gilead Gazette. Well, Enough about that. Let's get into this show. Yes. Well, as you mentioned, Gilead guys. Now, is it actually the best option ever to have two men discuss this show? Or <laughs> is it the this. worst choice ever to have two? I feel like it's good because it's like education well i mean obviously not educational it's not it's not a we're not watching a documentary here but you know you we're for us socially <laughs> like we're getting educated by this show is that what you mean yes yeah you know what i mean sure i mean yeah no i did think like oh yeah this will be popular <laughs> this will be approved by everyone let's hear two guys say what they think about gilead and how awful it is and wow it, it, yeah it, it's a bit touchy isn't it no, it is. It is. But I, and I feel like the first the the immediate impulse would be to say oh, uh, two guys discussing the handmaid's tale. A puh, a puh, and you know, mm-hmm. a pox on them. But then I feel like if you take another gander and if you think about it, it's the best possible scenario. 
<laughs> mm, you need may need to delve more into why that is. No, don't it, get me wrong. It, it, it's no. not the best possible scenario, but I just say, uh, but I'm just saying it's it's not as the impulse I feel is wrong, and it's the reason why TV shows, entertainment, and media uh, are such great things because you could take a look at another point of view, and it's almost bet not better, but it's a good thing that we can sit and tell our thoughts on this. Well, I mean, I think so. I'm also here, so that speaks for me, as it were. But like, but I, maybe we should look for would... some guests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we uh, should. Um, I don't know if it was if we were just starting this show. Like, oh, we have so many opinions about The Handmaid's Tale. That would set off warning bells ringing in my head. If two guys just decided, oh yeah, we just want to talk about The Handmaid's Tale, I would assume that it would be. Oh, because it made us so angry or because, uh, hey, we, we want a virtue signal all over the place and show that, oh, no, we're not like these evil men. Uh, but to be fair, we discuss all manner of television shows at showswhatyouknow.com and shying away from a show that brings up important topics and handles uh, delicate subjects such as The Handmaid's Tale would just make us fools who just stay within the realm of thinking that we're used to and don't explore anywhere beyond it. Besides, Handmaid's Tale is a great show and we discuss all great shows and plus honestly if you're if uh if you had a problem with us discussing it from uh, as two males i mean the show is a show run by a male is that something we should be fixing maybe it's something we should be fixing Mm. we came off pretty defensive right off the jump jim (laughs) well i mean i don't mean to be defensive but it just feels like i think it's a i think it's a legit question and i i wouldn't blame if someone stumbled upon this podcast and maybe rolled their eyes and said, oh, two white guys podcasting, that's new. Ha <laughs> like give a little elbow rib. But, uh, but uh, what I'm saying is I don't blame someone for saying that or thinking that. But I'm just saying maybe there's a little bit more to it. Yeah, maybe. We'll find out. Um, so, yes, we did cover season one. Uh, has your opinion evolved or changed at all since last year? No, no. I think this is a really good show. Although w- the one thing I'll have to say what a fucking heavy show this is. This is quite a heavy show. And, you forget, and, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's been a while, so you forget. But the thing is, even though it was a heavy show, uh, there was a playfulness there. And uh, it's probably by design, and it's a good thing that that's starting to fall away a bit. Because I remember in season one, there's just a playfulness with some of the music choices and... Uh, kind of some of the way June would react to things. And a lot of that was just in the face of utter despair. You have to find levity wherever you can. So I get that. But I mean, this show starts off with this extended sequence where all our heroes are about to be hung in the middle of Fenway Park. And wow, like they really, they really get you. They really pull you right in and I'm like, yeah, remember, remember what this place is like? Remember this world? Yeah. Although, I mean... They've. I remember very clearly how they've always hammered home how the handmaids are the most important resource of Gilead, and like they're gonna do deals with Mexico, and the thing they're gonna trade is the handmaids because they have this resource that no one else has. So at no point did I actually think that they would all get hung. I did kind of think, oh, maybe they'll hang a third of them, or like two thirds, or or something. Uh, but but they don't. Uh, I do get the reasoning behind it though. And I, I actually the horrifying thing is more later for me, you know, when they start burning hands and whatnot. That's where it starts feeling okay. Now I remember this show and how it feels to watch it. 
Yes. And I mean, I don't know if we're going to talk. Are we going to go beat by beat or are we just going to talk in general here? I think we should kind of go through it beat by beat a okay. bit. But it's I think it's going to be relatively quick yeah. because like it, it's pretty action heavy, the first episode. But it also um, is it's not that much happening as far as like many different storylines or anything it's like one thing in the first episode and by the way i wanted to mention i made the mistake of looking up some reviews of handmaid's tale season two and like the first one i read was like all spoilery saying like the third episode i thought this and i was like what uh so don't worry dear listeners we are not deemed important enough to get advanced copies of anything uh in fact our most successful coverage is of a show that's 20 years old so do not fret there will be no spoilers for anything beyond the first two episodes of season two of the handmaid's tale which is everything that is out at the time of this recording and honestly uh quick aside that annoys me to no uh to to no end these reviewers that get these advanced copies, unless I guess if I ever got to the point where I'd be getting advanced copies. But right. when I read some, I started to read an article on Westworld and they said how they'd watched the first five episodes, I was mm-hmm. furious. And I was like, yes. why? I mean, because Westworld or even Handmaid's Tale, which I assume they probably got three or four episodes in advance, these shows are already big. Just give them the first two and let them suffer like the rest of us, if I say. Yes. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, so at the start of the episode, as you said, or, well, at the end of last season, June was put into a truck, and we didn't know where it was going. And we can get a bit more in the general discussion into the decisions behind that, but going through it beat by beat, she's brought out, and at first we don't even know, is she brought out, you know, is it because of the letters, is it because of all this conspiracy stuff, or is it the stones? And it was indeed the stones, because all the handmaids are brought out, as you said, in this place, I don't know what it's a football stadium, Jim. Baseball, Fenway Park. Come on, wake up, my guy. I, okay, but uh, <laughs> they are in Boston, right? Yes, Fenway Park, Boston Red Sox. Okay, and I mean, if you're not on the video feed, Jim is wearing a hat with red socks on it. Yes. Uh, so you can give us a bit more insight on uh, the geography of this show. But yes, they're brought out and put nooses are put around their heads, and then it's pulled, and it's all a fake out. Did it feel at all like a fake out to the viewer to you or a cheap thing to do? Or did it feel like it made perfect sense? I feel like it made perfect sense. And even though I knew, I mean, uh, I'm with you. Yeah, the handmaids are a very important resource. They're definitely not going to get rid of them like that. But yeah, there was still a thought maybe it'd be like every other one or something like that to really nail a message. And I mean, there was a small thought in my head that maybe they would kill Offred. And because it doesn't have to be her story, but it does. So, you know, of course, she's not going to go anywhere. And it should be said that uh, for people that don't know, we talked a bit about this when we talked about season one, that this show is kind of outside the box now because season one does. I mean, it's based off a book and season one brings us to the end of the book. So now they're kind of in their own universe. uh, No, you know, no parachutes, no books, source material to blame. Very much yep. like uh, Game of Thrones, uh, w- w- where they're at, uh, driving towards the ending. Um, so we're kind of all on the same page here. But I still feel like it worked. And it's at the very least, like I was saying, it's a nice reminder of how bleak this show is and gets you right back in that mindset of Gilead. Yeah, I thought it made sense. Um we get some flashbacks throughout this episode, like most episodes, and this one starts with the past 
where they're talking about birth control, and it's ridiculous that the husband has to sign the birth control thing, but they decide, hey, just don't get it. We're going to go for it. Um, and it's it's especially jarring. Like, we talk about flashbacks in wh wherever they appear in the shows we discuss, and The Handmaid's Tale is probably the most justified use of flashbacks I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? No, I really like, I really, I mean, but I'm always a fan. I'm, I'm always yeah. loving the flashbacks. Uh, so it's, it's, it's already working for me. And yes, I like the, I think people have praised it before, the way they show the mundane of the end of all things. Uh, and it's just little stuff here and there. And it feels very realistic until, I mean, until it does get to the big thing, like which we see in this episode where there's like a, a terrorist attack on the Capitol and things are really going down. But yeah. even before we got to that point, it was just small changes here, small things there that in your everyday life, it's an annoying thing. And you're like, ah, why do I have to deal with this? Ah, someone will take care of it. And then you just kind of go on living your life until everything completely changes. Yes, exactly. And it's always jarring going into a flashback and it's jarring going out. And usually I'll say that in a bad way, like maybe a flashback is feels out of place. But here it's that the whole world is changing in an instant and you have to reset your brain. And by the end of every flashback, I'm already like I'm already back in the way of thinking that a normal person would. And then it's like cut to someone being tortured real yeah. quick in the present. And it's like, oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. And it's almost like it would get mundane to just be in this fantasy world and it wouldn't feel as anchored if we didn't pull in the past now and again yeah and not to jump too much but where as we start getting into the punishments like they're standing in the rain holding stones and then like you had mentioned people are getting handcuffed to a burner and having their hands burned I will say I was pretty relieved that by the end of this episode things get set down a different path where yeah. uh, Offred is like on a journey for freedom or at least some sort of escape because I was getting a little, it was, it was just too much. And plus it feels like we, we'd covered a lot of this stuff in season one. I didn't want to just have to strap in for more of uh, Offred being like chained to a bed while everyone's tortured around her because she's pregnant <laughs> and we're going to play out this whole thing again, you know? Uh, yeah. I was very excited to see that we have to change it up a little bit because it's just be it's becoming too much. And I, I know that's yeah. kind of part of the point, but still. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's really nice to get those moments. And it's also nice that there is no book anymore because we don't know and nobody knows except the fucking reviewers with the advanced copies. <laughs> but we're not those, so don't worry. Um, now, Aunt Lydia finds out uh, about the pregnancy, so she's very excited and goes to ring the bells to let the whole uh, city know that a child has been conceived and get, wants to get her out of the wet clothes and wants her to eat and everything. And as you said, it sort of evolves into, yeah, you're going to sit here and uh, be pampered and everyone's going to get tortured, and it's a great way of uh, cutting you down as their sort of would-be rebellious leader who instigated this whole thing. They are now seeing you get special treatment while they're literally tortured, so you're not going to be a leader anymore. And that's, like, they amp it up, the torture stuff and, like, the, like all the awful stuff happening, 
but it makes sense because it almost feels like we're heading down a path of like she's going down now because she was almost finding a place and being this slightly rebellious person and then uh she's she's getting torn down by this system that's why it's such a relief that we don't have to go through that at least not immediately yes yeah at least it's going down a different path for a little bit um so yeah she's ringing the bell and then we do we learn a little bit about janine who is the you know the one-eyed handmaid that they were supposed to stone um because what she was going to jump off that bridge with her baby because Mm -hmm. she thought that her um was it's a mistress and what's the guy called i can't think commander yeah the commander yeah she thought that she thought that they were in love or what have you and Sent off to the colonies, and I'm like, when are we going to see the colonies? Mm. I won't have to wait yeah. much longer, which is nice. Yeah, just you wait just a little while longer. The second flashback I really liked um, because it's this scene where um, June is at work, and she gets a call about uh, her son, or sorry, her daughter, and uh, goes to the hospital because she was brought to the hospital because of this weird policy. And I, I like this one because it's so realistic that i'm sure this is happening this is like a a type of sexism and prejudice that is definitely there in the real world right now but it's still perfectly possible to use it as a sort of stepping stone between the first scene the first flashback where everything's fine this scene where all these things are being put into question and herself as a person uh and the last scene where the the world is crumbling around them uh, i mean the last flashback um so it's really nice because it's so believable and it sort of fills in this gap in my brain or in the view- brain of the viewer of like no but they could never get this bad and this is just a kind of tiny thing the way she's being interrogated by this nurse and made to feel like she's not a good mother um but it's all part of it yes yes and they there's a small moment in the episode two that does the same thing and didn't work as well for me. Maybe it's just because I'm a man, but either way, we'll get to that when we get to episode two. Okay, cool. Um, so, so I like that scene. I like the discussion um, and how she's not allowed to go back to her daughter, uh, which brings us into the scene where she's examined by the you know weird sheet uh, gynecologist or whatever sort of examination, whatever they call them. I'm sure they have a weird future name for these, <laughs> yeah. these, uh, you know, birth men or wh- whatever. Um, and we get a little slice of Serena. Uh, that's her name, right? The mistress. Yes. yes Serena. And, Joy. uh, she is such a great actress who comes in and sort of is spitting anger at, uh, at June and then she sees the baby and there's like a like in the first part where where we see her so angry it's like so easy to hate her and then we're sort of reminded how she's also been swallowed up by gilead and is also part of it yes yeah and we because we saw that a bit in season one as well where she basically uh, now in this new gilead she she was one of the people that helped build it but then since she is a female she gets, you know, designated to her specific role and has to kind of go with that. Um, so, yeah, there's some interesting stuff going on with that character, even though she's such a hateable bitch. Uh, yeah. if we remember what she did with uh, June's daughter and all that. And I'm sure, you know, this isn't the last we've, we'll see of her because uh, she does want that baby. Yeah. And uh, then, finally, June actually gets to escape 
at least for the moment. As we said, we don't know what's going on, but I like it. I like the little red sticker that's on the key that lets her know where to go. Uh, it gives her a little trail of breadcrumbs, and she actually gets to run away. And it's such a relief because seeing the commander and Serena, it was like, okay, let's get ready for like five episodes of the yeah. commander playing chess and being a weird guy and everything. And no, we're running away now. And it's like, holy shit, this is invigorating and so exciting. And we've seen so much bad stuff already just in the first episode that we're reminded we're in the world. And uh, it's really exciting to see her run away and get on a truck and also to be reminded that there are other sane people in this world who don't want this world to be this way. Yeah, and and there's always but there's also still always this hint of like you know, uh, is this just another dangerous th- well, I mean it's a dangerous thing, but is this not an escape? Is this a weird trick? Is this the commander pulling some shit? Like, you know, there yeah. not that I really thought something like that was going to happen, but I like that we're 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 kept with June. So she's kind of, you know, she understands it's an escape, but there's always that possibility that something else is going to come out of what's happening. Uh, yeah. Like, and, and I mean, that's kind of the show in general. You can never get too comfortable because things are so insane uh, that there's not a lot of hope to hold on to. Yes. And I like how she gets onto the truck, sort of not sure if that's where she's supposed to go. And it closes immediately behind her and drives off and, uh, is just a nice touch and a nice detail that she's kind of lost, not knowing if she's doing the right thing, but she's pulled along with it. Then there's the final flashback where we get to see, as you said, news reports as they're coming home from the hospital of this terrorist attack. And in the like uncomfortably familiar way that we all end up watching the news, and then like another thing happens, and it's fucked. Um, and it's way more relatable than we'd like it to be, uh, and they managed to pull off that really well, as well as the the way we've just seen fragments of the past, and this is just another fragment, but it's like we're getting to see quite an important bit because at other times it's referenced like, oh yeah, when we took Washington, or when this or that happened, and, and it's all kind of vague, and we get to concretely see what that actually looked like, because a lot of the moments in the flashbacks are small moments. Yes, yeah, and... Um, ref- uh, if you remember offhand, refresh my memory. I mean, like the 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 issues with having children happened first, obviously, right? Or was it? Yeah, yeah. And, and it kind of is what spurred on this like rebellion that grew and grew uh, with these commanders and the new Gilead, the new uh, like country of Gilead or whatever. Because uh, that's why there were like. Because basically her prescription at the beginning is for like birth control or something, and then that's why she needs to get her husband to sign off on if it's uh, allowed. So there was like small, like the government already had small microaggressions as far as uh, you know making females lesser citizens, and then the the Gilead just kind of pushed everything all the way. Yes, okay. uh, I I feel like that. Um I mean, I'm sure there was also, I can't remember exact details of what has actually been revealed in the show, but there's definitely a level of economic collapse as well. I remember Nick, yeah. uh, who, you know, became an I. He um, he was like in this unemployment office. Huh, could be America today, right? Am I right? Or any nation? Huh. But I'm sure that also like didn't help. And I'm sure there was just natural disasters, standard 
five years in the future uh, type dystopia uh, buildup, I would say. But I think, yeah, it's definitely part of it that fewer and fewer people will have children. And that's obvious. I mean, it's not been that many years since then. And that's the whole thing that almost all people are barren. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So then, yeah, we see the their reactions to the big attack. And again, it's one of those things where... You know, you hear about it today, like you mentioned, you still you hear about attacks or things that happen, but then you still have your own life. Like she still has her sick daughter that doesn't want her to leave. So it's like you can be you can be devastated about that, but still have things to deal with. And it's hard to really, you know, escape that to stand up and tear down this uh, fascist government that's on the rise Yes, and like 30 people with machine guns just standing up and, and shooting people. Uh, it's also like, I don't know, like I said, it's it's a weird flavor to have in your mouth that it feels, when you're in this world and in this show, it feels way too believable. Yes, because the thought, I, I'm sure some viewers or people would say like, okay, right when you see that on the news, that's when you head north. Because, yeah. you know, we, we've saw in season one, like, um, things like, at least from what we know from the show, in the timeline, things still seem somewhat normal because she still, I think, works at her job for a little bit longer until that becomes a thing that she can't do. And it's just when you finally get to the, when they finally get to the point where they want to make a go for it, it's too late. Yeah. Exactly. So in the future, or the present, um, she gets out of the truck, and some guy helps her into a place, and she still doesn't know what this is. I, I guess she assumes it's uh, May Day, um, but Nick is there, and uh, she's really happy that uh, she got out of there. And the rest of the first episode is basically her shedding the shell of a handmaid. Yeah. Um, literally and visually and it all works really well as like if this was written in a book there's no way it would be the same thing because we've seen her for 10 uh if it was 10 episodes 10 episodes uh in this gown it's so iconic the red robe the the white uh the white wings and everything and and the whole style and everything and when she gets to take that off she becomes closer to the person she was in the flashbacks and we get to visually see the transformation, um, which is great. And uh, I wasn't the only one because I had I did see articles about this. I forgot that they had things in their ear because I'm like, why is she cutting her ear off? Is she a crazy person now uh, with her newfound freedom as she got insane? Uh, but yeah, I guess they had trackers or I, th I think the show was never even fully clear but they had things in their ear maybe I guess like how you tag a cattle or something like that well I started remembering it right as she was remembering it you know yeah um and I I wasn't sure if it was like in the previously on Handmaid's Tale or whatever but uh I knew what she was doing I I, I was kind of like get Nick to help you. But then it's like, no, I got to do this on my own. And it's the type of badass thing that actually makes perfect sense for a character as well. Not just like fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, no, I will take the bullets out myself. This is her transformation. She's not going to get some man to pluck it out of her ear. Um, she goes through the pain of it on her own and stands up uh, again, covered in red, but of a dif different sort. But again, well, then what was it? What was in her ear? What was the purpose? It was a tracker. Was it a well? Wouldn't you have wanted to take that out like a long time before this? 
Yeah, I think she didn't remember. I mean, that's because I didn't remember. So it would almost feel like Nick should have been like, "Get this tracker gone." But he, whatever, it, it still it works. Like you said, uh, thematically and dramatically, it all works uh, great to end the episode. But it would seem like before you get on the truck, uh, here's a scalpel. Cut this off your ear so you're not tracked. Very true. Uh, I ought, I I it, 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 I was also thinking that and thinking like, well. Now you have to move from this place immediately because you've been tracked here. I almost <laughs> thought true. it's better give give it to Nick, tell him to flush it down the toilet or something. You know that old trick. So they have to run after the sewers, something like that. Well, pl- I mean, I guess in the show's defense, uh, the infrastructure, even though the commanders have so much power, it doesn't feel like there's that much there. Where I doubt it's like a real time lost my iPhone <laughs> tracker. So uh, I'll give them that. <laughs> Yeah, they are. I mean, they've tried really hard, like, let's be the 1600s, 1600s, 1600s. And then it's like, where did we hide the GPS? We forgot about the GPS, guys. That's the end of episode one. And then, and I guess in a nice touch, I mean, because obviously she says, I am free at the end. And the episode title is June uh, for season two, episode one. And I believe season one, episode one title was Off Red. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's, like you said, her transformation back into June um, is becoming complete and getting to that point. Yes, it's a very nice symmetry. And uh, episode two opens with her still being smuggled. I mean, she is smuggled to a different place, and it seems like almost immediately the first place was just a, uh, a pit stop. Um, so she's brought to a place that we don't really know what it is at first. It seems like some sort of uh, weird large building, and, but we're, it's revealed that it's the Boston Globe Yep. A newspaper that sucks and cannot compare to the Gilead Gazette. <laughs> Ping! Yeah, it's some fake news compared to the Gilead Gazette. And this is where I can't help. I understand these things ha- th- These things happen because it's a TV show and it works as these, you know, great jarring, uh, like jarring imagery. But I'm like, Gilead is such a flair for the dramatics where they have to hang people at Fenway Park and then they have to hang and shoot them at the Boston Globe. No one's just doing it in like grandma's backyard. It has to be this like iconic location where shit goes down. But I'll allow it. Well, when she's, um, I, I mean, yeah, that's true. But I was more like, wait, did you hang them and then shoot them, or like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, why did they and fake also them the out? Ropes, like- <laughs> yeah, were the ropes like, how did you get them down and still have the rope up? Why did you leave the rope <laughs> for later? Because uh, you haven't seemed to use it. Also, there's a lot of holes in that wall. Uh, you know, it probably would have done to just do one of those. Uh, and and also the way the look on her face when she sort of realizes what this is because she does get to explore this place and kind of feel again like the flashback kind of a connection to the past but then it's supposed to be like drawn out like the 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 rugs drawn out from under her feet as she sees no this is where these people also died but and we see that in her face before the nooses are ever revealed and the nooses themselves were sort of anticlimactic because of the look on her face it looked like she was seeing like a pile of dead bodies or something like that and honestly the wall was much better as that so i don't know why the nooses are there as far as uh the script and how it was put together yeah it did seem a little redundant uh for both but you're yeah the wall is very effective and it does show like gilead's very good at cleanup uh, we get those bodies out of there. Uh, quick thing from the chat, Natasha in the chat. Uh, I guess we're kind of a little both right. Is that yeah? It's it's a tracker, but very similar to like keep track of cows. They called them red tags in the show, and I I, I guess I forgot that the 
they do show her get tagged in the lap last episode of season one during a flashback. Uh, so oh. my mistake. I, I do. I vaguely remembered it. It's just I, I wasn't the only one because when I googled it, there were quite a few uh, think pieces about, and the, the, the headline was always like, "What was on her ear?" Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Here's for all your information. Damn. I mean, clearly that's what we should name this episode <laughs> if we knew our CEO. Yeah. But hey, um, or SEO, not CEO. <laughs> Who's the CEO of Gilead Gazette? Mm, that's a mystery for another day. Um, but yes, we do get to see the colonies. Were you happy? Oh, yeah, I was psyched. I, I'm not quite uh, fully clear on what they're doing. I mean, I guess they're trying to remove the the like, the like waste, like the radioactive waste or what have you. They're just trying to clean it up the best they can. Uh, yeah, I mean, my feeling on it was... Uh, clearly these women don't need to dig here. Like, they're just doing they're this just, for punishment. Just to slowly uh, die, basically. Yeah, I mean, one truck could literally do the work of, like, a thousand of these women, or one excavator, whatever you like. Um, but, I mean, hey, it's a concentration camp. It's not really there for to get work out of you. It's there to kill you. Yes, yeah, and um, it's... Uh, very, very nice to see of Glenn again. And I remember t- we uh, when we talked about season one, she had that great moment last we saw her where she kind of got her own revenge by like running over some of the guards and kicking ass. Um, I was, I mean, I'm surprised they left her alive, but might as well kill her slow. It, like makes it hurt more. And the the tough thing I feel with Alexis Bledel, and maybe it's because I'm such a Gilmore Girls fan and I know her from that, but. Even when they try to make her look old, she doesn't look old to me. Like, yes, she has, like, wrinkles in her face, and she's, like, haggard from working in, a like, a waste area uh, to the bone. But even when they try to show her as a professor and they just put glasses on her, she just looks like Rory Gilmore. <laughs> she's always going to be Rory Gilmore to me. Well, you know she's actually not 17 anymore, right? I mean, yeah. they don't need to make her look that old. But I feel right? like they try. I feel like they try, dude. And, and it's not just her. I mean, there are some actors that just have a baby face. But even yeah. when they – I feel like they're trying. I feel like they try to bring out the wrinkles in her face to make her look a little bit more wise or what have you. But it just ain't going to work. I don't care. You get you get Stan Winston, a god at special effects and makeup – and he ain't. You get uh, Rick Baker. They're not gonna. They're, they're not gonna do a good job. No one's gonna do a good job. Okay. Well, let's talk about these glasses then. How <laughs> is she seeing things in the present? Is are they mostly for style, or are, are her eyes just not that bad? I guess is the solution. Well, all handmaids get LASIK. You don't remember that from uh, season one. <laughs> you, that's we could throw, drop a lot of those in. Don't you remember the flashback in episode seven? No, I don't. I don't remember the flashback, but I doubt there was LASIK in it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess it's just clearly like let's put glasses on her to show she's the professor. And I, maybe yeah. maybe it is. Maybe it's some sort of uh, sexism that I uh, can't see it. But it, I'm not saying this about a female professor. I'm just saying it specifically about uh, Rory Gilmore. She's not Rory Gilmore, Jim. She's, uh, what's, I don't, Emily. Alexis Bledel. Yeah, she's Emily. She's off Glenn. (laughs) Yes. Well, no, don't call her by her slave name, dead name. Um, So, yes, as you said, we see her in a flashback teaching, and some student peeks at her phone, which has a picture of her wife and daughter, uh, or son. It's son. Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Her wife yeah. and son. And I guess it's interesting because I was going to call out like I kind of rolled my eyes at. I mean, I, I 
I guess I get why it's in the show clearly because it's you know it's showing a connection between like uh, you know small pieces of misogyny and getting to this point, but like you know they they try to make this point of the guy interrupting the girl in class, and then they have a quick talk about it after class where you know hey does it get better in grad school? It's like oh god no. And although I guess I kind of like it because she tries to help this girl and it's kind of insinuated that this girl is the one that rat, rats her out in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like it. I mean, I don't think she goes off show, flashing her phone to everyone. Yeah. And she actually says like, oh, who's that? What's up on that picture? And uh, as you said, the next scene is um, her talking to her boss uh, who's talking about next next semester. And what are we going to do? Hey, you're good news. You're going to get more lab time great right because you're not going to be teaching because uh just to be safe just because you know we're both very queer yeah and it was hard for me at first to get like if that was bad or not because i was trying to like because they kept talking about research and working on stuff and I, I don't know anything about teaching so i'm thinking like wait is that good no clearly it's bad and yeah it's because they're both gay and i do the john carroll lynch plays i believe the character's name is dan this guy's a great actor and he ha- he brings uh, like a warmth to the part where uh, he doesn't have to be in it that long and you're already like sad that bad things happen to him. Uh, I just wanted to call him out because I like him in a lot of stuff. He was in The Walking Dead. Uh, he was in season two of Channel Zero. And I feel like he's great in everything. So I was really happy to see him here. Very true, and very similar to the uh, latest episode of The Sopranos that we discussed. Uh, If you're not aware, we do a Sopranos podcast called Cut to Black that you can find on your podcast app of choice. But uh, in the latest episode, um, very similar to this, there's a scene, there's just one scene with this character, and then he's dead later. And in just this brief scene, we're so already invested and sad that something's happened to him, and they... They, again, they're talking about history and talking about, I thought my generation was the last that had to deal with this. I thought you were all spoiled. And then she says, no, give me my, give me my classes. I'm teaching. And he says, you know, welcome to the fight. And uh, it's good because, you know, he, it starts off in the scene that he seems like an antagonist. But no, he is actually trying to do the right thing. So, uh, I'm, I, or the safe thing, rather. And, uh, yeah, that's why it's uh, pretty heartbreaking, uh, even though it's just one scene. Well, and especially because, like, yeah, he he says welcome to the fight, but meanwhile he is, you know, following orders. He is the one that's punishing her for, you know, uh, like letting that information get out that she's gay, even though he's gay. So there's that. It ties back into, you know, what we saw with June and stuff in the real world where things slowly start to change and there you feel like there's not a lot to do. And so you don't. And then he meets like a terrible fate because of it. He's also the husband in Fargo, the movie, I should say real quick. He's great. And I love this guy. That's right. It's awesome. That's <laughs> yes. Um, so at the colonies, we see how Emily is sort of helping treat people for their illnesses um, because she knows things and uh, knows how to get some Tylenol here and there. And um, then there's a mistress who arrives. And uh, was this character in season one? I don't I, think so. I don't think so. And I, I do like that they, they didn't really spend time uh, like explaining it to you, like outright explaining it to you. I mean, they spent time, obviously, through the visuals and the way the characters react. But it did take me a minute to kind of get what was happening. And yeah, I believe it's uh, it's what's her face? It's uh, Aunt May from the new Spider-Man. Um, uh, uh, I'm spacing on her name. God damn it! 
Help me out here. I don't know. Come on, Jim. I don't know names. <laughs> you know, from my cousin Vinny. Sure. And from the wrestler, I'm Googling it. I tried to not Google it. I tried to be the guy that's like, I'm going to think of it. Uh, I know. You're going to Google it. That's what you're going to do. Um, meanwhile, I'm going to say... Marissa Tomei. Uh, thank you. Yes. Um, so uh, after June finds the whole wall and things, there's a pretty tense scene where Nick shows up again, but we don't know if it's Nick. We assume it is, but it's also like she wasn't giving given any instructions. So of course she's going to hide if someone shows up. She's not going to be like, hey, guys, welcome. Um, so it's a pretty tense scene, and it ends with her just needing to get out and wanting to get out and give me the keys and she gets the gun and she gets in the car and almost goes off. We know, the viewer, that's a bad call. Uh, I mean, Nick has more of the right idea about how to get her out of there. But I also, and I am interested in hearing your opinion, I also totally understand the need to just get out of here right now because she's been trapped for so long and now she's in what she would call a slaughterhouse. Um, so the instinct is just get out. Well, I, I would say I'm not a fan of this whole sequence here because I feel like we just did the same exact thing an episode ago. And since these were released back to back, I mean, I watched them very shortly between each other. Like they just did the thing where it's like a guy shows up when she's in a hiding place and oh my God, it's Nick. Thank you. And then they mm -hmm. do the same thing. And I'm like, it's Nick. Yeah. I, mean, I understand that she like everything you said does make sense. She has to hide. But I almost feel like if they held Nick's appearance to now it would have been more effective uh that's very true there's really not that much of a reason that he was in the previous episode when you think about it right yeah like if it, they because you could still have had her do her like shed her uh handmade uh uniform and stuff even if it was just like a note or some sort of further instructions or whatever or a mayday symbol uh, but I mean, I guess either way, they wanted to, they didn't, it was a bleak episode one. So I guess I understand why they have Nick show up just to kind of show Remind a little. you that the character exists. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I still think it would have been more effective to hold it till here. Um, and it felt, even though I get it, like, like what you, the, the stuff where she wants to leave that I get, I don't have a problem with that. And it makes sense. And then she has this, she understands, like she even knows when she takes the keys and wants to leave that she can't. But then when they go into the sex and I understand it's her taking control and she hasn't had control a lot and she's being very aggressive and just getting this angst and this frustration out, it still rang corny to me, but it's mostly because the Nick and June relationship in general feels very YA novel to me. Uh, yeah. Even though I get why it's there, it just feels like it's, it's YA novel stuff because he's the dreamy guard that works for the evil people. And then eventually we're going to have this love triangle or maybe a love rectangle when uh, June's husband is with her friend and then they've all meet and it's like awkward, but we'll see. Well, you know me, Jim, I love a good YA. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, don't have I, that much of a problem with it. But yeah. now that you mention it, I can't let go of the idea of why didn't they save this for episode two? Because episode two, as far as June's story, it feels stagnant. I mean, not it's not awful or anything, but if you had this reveal here, that would make a lot more sense if you were kept in suspense in the previous episode. And she even does all this, like she sheds her clothing and cuts her hair. She does it all on her own. Nick doesn't help her. He just kind of says, hey, cut your hair. And then he goes off. And I just assumed he was in, a, in another room doing something. And that's where it feels like, wait, why was he there? It's like you said, it was just to sort of 
bring him back in and sort of remind the people who like this relationship that this relationship is happening. But if they at first had it like, oh, it's May Day, the driver is just going to say a few short words, cut your hair, do this, and I'll be back. Like, if they just did that, that would probably make this reveal a a lot more meaningful because then it's like, oh, you joined with May Day? Because for me, it was like, I didn't know necessarily that it was, you know, I thought maybe this was just Nick pulling strings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I guess this kind of does say, because she mentions May Day here, or at least somewhere in this episode, right? Yes. I mean, that's what she says, like, oh, you joined up with May Day and blah, blah, blah. So she says it and he doesn't contradict it. So that's, I, I guess I assume that's what happens. Yeah. And then, you know, they get to have like a lot tons of sex. of sex. And then it's even like she wants to have more sex. And he's like, I don't know. And she's like, you better try, motherfucker. <laughs> I am a fucking June, bitch. Like, I am back. Uh, <laughs> and I, the thing is, I get it. And it does work in a dramatic sense. But it just like, it feels very YA. And I remember even discussing this relationship in season one because i still haven't read the book and i started thinking like is this a ya novel and uh i guess it isn't (laughs) no it isn't uh but yeah no maybe it's like they have they have them have sex then they have them switch positions then they cut to like them in a different place and still having sex and then it's like you better get ready for more baby boy (laughs) and uh that's where i get it like they could have just had the one thing i'm not saying it's wrong that they had more but it does kind of lose its whole purpose at some point uh but i wanted to mention as well i felt with her wanting to get out it's the way she demanded the key and got in the thing i liked it because i think she needed to feel that she could leave and realize that it was the wrong thing because she has been totally controlled and the reason nick is kind of okay is that he would let her go and do that because he kind of understands that to some degree but then she is also smart enough to see, no, that's stupid. But she needs to be able to do the stupid thing because that's what freedom is. Yeah, that that makes complete sense. I think that that does make sense and that works. And it does even tie into the sex stuff because it is just another form of her taking control and showing that she's not, you know, subservient to someone else. Um, it just uh, it gets to be a bit much. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so then we see Emily give some give some nice um, al- uh, some nice p- relief pills, some antibiotics. That's it to the mistress. This what a actually, nice gal. they did kind of get me with this. I didn't see this coming, honestly. And maybe it's yeah. because she's Rory Gilmore to me, and <laughs> Rory Gilmore would never do this. And I, when she did say like a mistress was nice to me, I was trying to remember. I was like, maybe that's true. But then when, you know, once the reveal happens, I'm like, oh, of course, like, this is perfect. This is this yeah. makes complete sense. Yes, it's the opposite of true, probably. And I was even think uh, same with me. They got me. Uh, it was in that scene like, oh, no, don't be too nice. The other unwomen are going to start picking on you now because you're aligning with the mistress. And then it's like, no, of course, she's going to be like the most beloved of the unwomen. She's like our new leader now because <laughs> yeah. she's the best. Uh, and it doesn't, ter- I also love it because it's like, we can't kill the people who are literally tort- torturing us. And this person is down here in the pit with us. And it's all, it's like, there should be a camaraderie, but this person is holding on to her dumbass bullshit. Yep. That is the whole reason you're here. And it's almost, if she was there and she was like, what the fuck were we doing? I'm an idiot. Why did we do this? Then it would be like, yeah, you, you're telling us. But now it's like, oh, God, we'll do this and do that. And it's like, 
Okay. No, you're still an well, idiot. You need to go. And is it kind of like, because um, what does she wear? She wears like a cloak or something, like a blue one. Yeah. Is that kind of what gives her, like, if she didn't hold on to, like, shit like that, would people not have known immediately that she's not one of them? She might not have gotten a choice uh, as far as what to wear, but yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the way she acts is bad, but I mean, that that could be explained away. Like, you would, this is like you don't go into prison like, oh, yeah, I put all you in here. Remember, I was but the I, lawyer who put you in the yeah. prison. I also do get a sense that she probably did get a choice, but the way she talked, she really thought God was going to save her. Like it didn't <sighs> yeah. matter because she was that fucking gone. Um, and yeah, you're right. I totally expected that it was going to come back on uh, Emily. I was waiting when it first cut back to like the barracks or what have you at night. I was waiting for like a private pile moment from Full Metal Jacket where they beat him in his sleep with fucking socks full of soap or whatever. I thought yeah. they were going to do something to Emily. But now we just get the reveal that, you know, that that was not antibiotics that she gave her. Uh, but I guess we jumped over. That happens uh, after the flashback at the airport where Emily and her wife and child are trying to get out of the country. And uh, I mean, obviously we know she's not going to get out, but I like how it goes through where it seems like it could happen. Like even when she yeah. says like, you know, the guy at the front said, I just had to talk to you. And given we don't deal with this same type of bureaucracy, but in real life, when you always have to jump through red tape and then someone tells you like, oh, okay, this is fine. All you need is this form. And then you get to the next person and they're like, fuck you, this is bullshit. And there's nothing you can do about it. Obviously, we don't f deal with it on this scale, but I, I get that feel. Yeah. And the main thing I was thinking of uh, here is ties in with what you said. Like, it's not like there's a terrorist attack and suddenly like, oh, I'm going to leave the country. Uh, but the whole buildup, it makes perfect sense that they would want to leave. It makes sense that it's so crowded here uh, in the airport. And actually what I was thinking of was uh, a long time ago being at a lecture of a uh, that was given by a Holocaust survivor that was basically talking about how he survived and how it was like so weird that at one point it's like it was like yeah you can either like like that the dying is an option that this totalitarian nazi state might put on you but if you just leave that's almost as as that's fine with them too actually they just want you the fuck out of there mm. and they're gonna kill you otherwise but they're not gonna tell you that they're gonna kill you otherwise so it's like if you're stubborn and think things are gonna be fine you're gonna be fucked but it's not like they were like we have to keep all the jews in germany so we can kill them if they left at the right time because there was a, i mean there's always a time in this type of situation where leaving would be fine and then it turns into not fine and it's rarely like bang it's like a gradual development and i i don't, don't remember super clearly but i think this person i heard speak was actually like in a concentration camp with a lot of people dying around and then it was like oh no uh you're just gonna go to a different country we're gonna get rid of you that way instead and it's like, oh, yeah, it's kind of cheaper. Like, <laughs> it's so weird the way life is viewed by these people. And it adds up that they, hey, yeah, get the gender traitor out of here and they're a little bastard. Hey, was it your eggs, though? We can't let you leave. Yes, yeah. And that kind of, because there was even a question in the scene in, in episode one, that scene we were talking about where the doctor's uh, asking June about um, her daughter being sick. I think there was even a question there, like, on if she was adopted or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, it comes up here and things are very manageable until suddenly they're not. 
and of course it's like the frog in the bo- and sitting in the water as it's about to boil versus throwing the frog into the boiling water and he goes crazy you just sit there you don't notice that the water is starting to get hot and boil around you and yeah they keep coming back to that question on if she had her uh, eggs implanted or if it was like a natural birth and obviously we as the audience we know that the uh, why don't answer this question <laughs> yeah. let them uh, d- don't be important to them and yeah. even like how quick things all of a sudden start to move where like, I do believe that that guy, the initial guard, he's like, Oh, okay. That paperwork's fine. But maybe in the the, uh, span of an hour, they were like, no, that's bullshit. That paperwork's nothing. We run this shit. We don't recognize gay marriage and that's not going to allow you into another country or leave this country. Uh, And then we have, yeah, like the fucking, that guy, the clearly like villainous. I mean, they're all, all these people are villains, but this guy's like enjoying it. Uh, so yeah, it's really tough stuff to watch. And then, yeah, she has to like watch her family leave and be stuck. But then also my thought is like, get in a fucking car, drive to Canada or wherever, get the fuck out of here. Let's do this. Let's do the damn thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then we go back to the present and the death of this mistress, the reveal. It's so satisfying and great. Uh, and uh, she's even tied up on a cross outside, which I felt I felt like she she had nothing to do with that. It was like the other people who fixed that. Is that how you got it too? Yeah, I could see that, but it's totally like you're right. She is king shit of that place. She is like yeah. the leader because not only is she just doing right by everyone as far as her knowledge and helping people manage, you know, the the suffering the best they can. But she's also doing, like, covert shit like this and killing mistresses so they can hang them up on uh, posts outside. Yeah, so, of course, someone has her shovel when it's time to go over the shovel thing. It's like, yeah, you we, we get your shovel for you. You don't get your shovel. We get the <laughs> yeah, shovel. Please, That's, like, the Emily. only sign of respect you can <laughs> yeah. show. Please, Emily, um, your shovel's no good here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then... Um, What's her name? Janice shows Janine, up. Janine, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the end of that storyline for now. In the present, or no, it's still it's still the present. It's all the present, but uh, June is uh, watching Friends, and then she <laughs> makes a little eulogy up by the wall. And I, I did think, you know how they say, you'll be first against the wall when the revolution comes. She actually found the wall, uh, so she could put up some little monuments for people there and, and sort of honor their memory. Yes. And she does a little Christian prayer, which for me, you know, this is just my... Scumbag Swedish atheist point of view, but it's like, come on, just uh, let go of that now. Come over, you yeah. should be done by that by now. But um, yeah. hey, that's just me. And, and yeah, for all the criticisms I had about like the you know the nooses and the the cleanup and the walls, this is a nice moment, and uh, like I like what it means and kind of where where we're going. Uh, it is interesting to have her cracking up at friends beforehand, and like, yeah, just like really having kind of a regular time in this you know uh horrible horrible existence that she's stuck in do you think we're gonna see less flashbacks with june because she cut her hair now so it's gonna be harder to tell which is which Ooh, that's a good point i mean i i would only say just because what else can we really see at this point but mm-hmm. you never know they'll throw us for a loop but i think the hair that's the biggest uh <laughs> giveaway yeah, I think they did a good thing, too, of, you know, broadening it. I remember last year when it was like, let's go into Nick's flashback. I was like, come on, I get it. Nick was a guy, and now he's the guy who does the thing. 
But here it's like, oh no, this is actually broadening the world up and giving us more input and, and point of view and stuff. So I, I'm very uh, hopeful and excited to see what they do with that. Now, I did want to ask you one question before we wrap up here, because because there is no book to base this on or anything. We are in fan fiction town now. Don't worry, I'm not shipping up to Boston. Okay, uh, we don't not have time yet. for that. Soon. <laughs> Another day. Um, and shipping up fact- to Boston, how perfect does it work, though, for this show? Yeah. Yeah, but there's no time. We'll do it next time. Yeah. Uh, we're in fan fiction town, so will there be a happy ending? Because it felt throughout season one, there's no way. And then here it's like, maybe, but are we just being tricked? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I, I guess I'd be hard-pressed to say that this show could ever have a happy ending, but I feel like they will go for some sort of satisfactory ending. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, which is basically, I'm saying, yes, that's a happy ending. Uh, just kind of splitting hairs here. But it'll be, like I said, that joy I felt in the moment when Emily was like running over guards. I feel like we'll get that. We're going to get something like that. It, this is like Kill Bill on a great scale here. We're, we're going to see some revenge, I'd imagine. Uh, I guess it all depends on... I haven't read on if the showrunners have discussed if they have an endpoint in sight. It really does feel like you can't go like seven seasons of this show. I think we maybe even already discussed this when we discussed season one. Uh, But it'd be interesting to see how far they want to go with the show. I feel like June getting out... It would kind of be the end of the show in a way. Not necessarily. I mean, they could do stuff. She gets out, but her daughter is still in and we need to do a thing. And that would be pretty satisfying, but that would feel way more like fan fiction. And what would actually make more kind of sense is her being stuck here and bringing it down from the inside, except not quite the inside. I do want her to get out, so it's very weird, but I, I feel like, it, like I felt the same. Like It's probably going to be a satisfying ending. It's not going to be happy, but I also had this point of view, and I, I'd, like, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you think of it, but it felt like book, the, both the book and season one is kind of a snapshot of this dystopia, and the ambiguous ending works perfectly for that, book, both in the show and the book. Um, but this is kind of 2018, and we need this story to have a real ending. Like ending it like it ended last time. That was that was just like a little snapshot and uh, showing like, oh, this is what the world is like. Wouldn't that be crazy? But now it's like, no, we we need to, especially like crassly as speaking as Hulu. Like we need to make this a thing, and we need people to keep watching. We want it to be satisfying. Um, so they're tilting it a little bit, it feels, in these episodes in towards more of a kind of revenge thing. Uh, Kill mm-hmm. Bill is a good example of, yeah. like, we get these feelings of, fuck yeah, and there were so few feelings of, fuck yeah, in the first season. And they and it was always followed by, oh, I feel like shit again. And I, I wonder if they're going to go for more of the fuck yeah, because I think that's more, like, it's it's satisfying, and I don't think it's, like making it any cheaper or whatever, I think that's probably the way to go. Obviously, you want to do it with a good pace or whatever. What do you think? Is there going to be a lot of fuck yeah? I Yeah, I do think so, and I agree with what you're saying. I also feel like, yeah, I feel like we could totally have June get away, but for what, at least my read on June and what they're showing, I mean, and even to an extent what they show at the end of this episode where she's kind of, fighting back in her own way by making this memorial and kind of putting the like the like diverse 
you know, tchotchkes of uh, the people that worked in this office on the wall as kind of a way to fight back. I feel like regardless, even if June gets away, even if June saves her daughter, what I know, what my read of June is that she's not going to just pack it away if she gets away. Like she is becoming more of like a revolutionary figure and that even if she got away, she would try to go back, maybe not personally go back, but she'd be making plans to get people to safety because she knows that feel dude like i know that feel that feel when you're locked in commit the room and your mistress won't let you out like she knows that feel of no hope and just reading someone's you know words scratched on the wall and she's gonna try to save as many people as she can at least that's my take on it yeah and that's almost like I, I have not read the book either, I'll admit, but it's kind of like the book seems more like, here's a dy- here's an interesting idea of a dystopia, and she probably dies at the end. And this is more like, okay, that was the start point. Let's get a bit of YA in there. Let's get a bit of Game of Thrones in there. Yeah. Let's get a bit of House of Cards. Let's fucking do this thing. And I think it's honestly, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's interesting and uh I, I think it's going to be very satisfying. It's just, I don't think they'll do this, but it's possible to go for satisfying things that then end up feeling sh- cheap. Um, if it's just like, oh yeah, bringing down the man, man. But also they've shown such competence putting this together. I don't think that's where it's going. Also, it's totally possible that she gets completely captured like next episode as well. Yeah, that's not very, ruled out. It would be true. kind of boring though. And I'm very excited that it's going a different way. Like you said at the start, that it's not like, okay, more of her being in the same place and now she's going to have the baby and whatever. Like it's it's action happening right from the get-go. And I'm very much down with that. Yes, yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm kind of at a point where, like, uh, I don't I don't really have an idea. I mean, I guess I have an idea of where it's going, but I don't know where they're gonna go because, yeah, you know, we we we're back. We're seeing off Glenn and kind of what she's building there in the colonies. We know June's on the run. Uh, we know we haven't seen the last of uh, Serena Joy. Like she's gonna be coming for that baby, uh, yeah, and, and even like the commander to an extent. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things in play. And then of course her husband and I can't, I'm, I'm spacing on her friend's name that got away last year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of cards on the table and be interested to see where they're going. And I think things are nice and open where I'm excited to see where they go with this season. Yes. So if you're excited to see where they go with this season, we are going to be talking episode to episode on it and we'll be doing live streams on Sundays uh, with along with our Sopranos coverage, that is at youtube.com slash shows what you know. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter at shows what you know, that's you, the letter you for the Twitter one, um, to get links to when we're going live. And if that's not your cup of tea, you can always search for Gilead Gazette on your podcatcher of choice or shows what you know, where you can find all our combined television coverage. Anything else? Yeah, and then, I mean, on that, uh, what do you think? Where do you, th- you think this is going to end in complete tragedy? Is that, is that how they punctuate their uh, main point, is that there will be no hope, or do you feel like we're going to get a lot of fuck yeahs and some satisfactory revenge? Uh, what are your thoughts on the endgame of Handmaid's Tale? Um, I think... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I think it's going to be Kill Bill. <laughs> oh, but I mean you, but I also mean I'm talking about the royal you, like the people listening. Send us yes. your thoughts uh, at shows at gmail.com. 
please do. Shows what you know show at gmail.com. That's about it uh, for Jim stuff. You can find uh, com with a lot of tasty things to listen to and awesomepedia.org for me. That's about it, though. We're going to see you next week. Stop the presses.